Part two, chapter one of En Route by Jory Karl Heismans, translated by Charles Keegan Paul. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Durtal awoke, gay and brisk, astonished at not hearing himself groan, when the moment had come in which he should set off for La Trappe. He was wonderfully reassured. He tried to recollect himself and to pray, but he felt his thoughts more scattered and wandering than usual. He remained indifferent and unmoved. Surprised at this result, he tried to examine himself and touched the void. He was slack that morning, in one of those sudden dispositions in which a man becomes a child again, incapable of attention, in which the wrong side of things disappears and everything distracts. He dressed hastily, got into a cab, was too early at the station, and there experienced a perfectly childish attack of vanity. Looking at the people who hurried through the waiting rooms, thronged the ticket officers, or resignedly followed their luggage, he was not far from admiring himself. If these travellers who think only of their pleasures or their business knew where I am going, he thought. Then he reproached himself for the stupidity of these reflections, and as soon as he was settled in his compartment, in which he chanced to be alone, he lighted a cigarette, saying to himself, Let us profit at least by the time there is still for smoking. And he began to wander, to dream about the position of the monastery, and rove about the neighbourhood of La Trappe. He remembered that a review had recently estimated the number of nuns and monks in France at two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand persons who, in such an epoch, have understood the wickedness of the struggle for life, the filth of sexual relations, the horror of lyings in, those are they who save the honour of the country, he thought then passing at a bound from cloistered souls to the treatises he had put in his portmanteau he went on it is all the same curious how completely the temperament of french art rebels against mysticism all exalted writers are foreigners saint denis the areopagite was a greek eckhart tauler suso sister emmerich were germans reisbrook came from flanders saint teresa saint john of the cross saint marie d'agreda were spaniards Father Faber was English, Saint Bonaventure, Angela of Foligno, Magdalene of Pazzi, Catherine of Genoa, Jacopo de Voragine, were Italians. Ah, he said, struck by the last name he had cited, I ought to have brought his golden legend in my bag. How was it I did not remember it, for that book is, in fact, the very crowning work of the Middle Ages the stimulant for hours rendered languid by the prolonged uneasiness of fasting, the simple aid of pious vigils. For the most incredulous souls of our time, the golden legend at least still seems like one of those pure parchments on which simple illuminators painted the faces of saints with gum water, or white of egg on golden backgrounds. Jacopo de Voragine is the Jean Fouquet, the André Bonneville of literary miniature, of mystic prose. It is quite absurd to have forgotten that book, for it would have made me pass precious days, like those of old, in La Trappe. Yes, it is strange, he thought, returning on his thoughts and coming back to his first idea. France can count religious authors more or less celebrated, but very few mystical writers, properly so called. And it is just the same also in painting. The true early masters are Flemish, German or Italian, none are French, for our Burgundian school descended from the Flemish. No, it cannot be denied, the genius of our race cannot easily follow and explain how God acts when he works in the central depths of the soul, which is the ovary of thought, the very source of conception. It 
is refractory at explaining by the expressive power of words the crash or the silence of grace bursting forth in the domain which is wasted by sin it is inapt at extracting from that secret world works of psychology like those of saint teresa and saint john of the cross works of art like those of voragine or sister emmerich besides that our field is scarcely arable and our soil harsh where shall we now find the labourer who sows and harrows it who prepares not even a mystical harvest but even any spiritual fruit capable of assuaging the hunger of the few who stray and are lost and fall from inanition in the icy desert of our time he who should be the cultivator of that land the farmer of souls the priest has not strength to clear the ground the seminary has made him arbitrary and puerile life outside has made him lukewarm therefore it seems that god has withdrawn himself from him and the proof of this is that he has taken away all ability from the priesthood there are no priests now who have talent either in the pulpit or in books the laity have inherited that grace which was so common in the church of the middle ages another example proves it still more priests make so few conversions in these days the being who pleases heaven does without them the saviour himself strikes him down handles him works directly on him the ignorance of the clergy their want of education their unintelligence of their surroundings their dislike for mysticism their incomprehension of art have taken away all their influence on the aristocracy of souls their only action is now on the childish brains of bigots and pretenders and this is no doubt providential it is better so for if the priest became the master if he succeeded in raising and vivifying the wearisome tribe he manages it would be like a waterspout of clerical stupidity beating down on a country would be the end of all literature and all art in france to save the church there remains the monk whom the priest detests for the life of the cloister is a constant reproach to his own existence continued durtal always supposing that my illusions are not again destroyed when i see a monastery but no i am lucky i have discovered in paris one of those few abbés who is neither indifferent nor a pedant why should i not in an abbey come into contact with authentic monks he lighted a cigarette and looked at the landscape from the carriage window the train was passing through fields in front of which the telegraph wires danced in puffs of steam the landscape was flat and uninteresting durtal fell back sulkily in his corner the arrival at the convent disturbs me he murmured since there are no useless words to proffer i shall confine myself to giving his letter to the father guestmaster ah and then all will arrange itself he felt in fact a perfect calm and was astonished at not finding in himself any disgust or fear at being almost in high spirits well my good priest was right in declaring that i was creating monsters in advance and he thought of the abbe gevresin was surprised that long as he had visited him he knew nothing whatever of his antecedents that he was no more intimate with him than on the very first day in fact it only rested with me to question him discreetly but the idea never entered my head it is true that our intercourse has been strictly limited to matters of religion and art this perpetual reserve does not create very thrilling friendships but it institutes a sort of jansenism of the affections which is not without charm in any case that ecclesiastic is a holy man he has not even that manner at once caressing and reserved of other priests apart from certain gestures his habit of rolling his arms in his cincture of wrapping his hands in his sleeves of liking to walk backwards when in conversation apart from his innocent mania of interlarding his phrases with latin he does not recall either the attitude or the unfashionable speech of his brethren 
he loves mysticism and plain song he is exceptional and therefore he must have been also carefully chosen for me in heaven ah well we must be getting near he sighed looking at his watch i am beginning to feel hungry come that is all right we shall be at saint landry in a quarter of an hour he strummed on the windows of the carriage saw the fields and woods fly past smoked a cigarette or two took his bag from the rack at last arrived at the station and got out close to the tiny station he recognized the inn of which the abbe had told him he found a good woman in the kitchen who said all right sir sit down they will put the horse to while you breakfast he fed himself on uneatable things they brought him a calf's head forgotten in a tub some cutlets that were high vegetables blackened with gravy from the stove in his present mood he was amused at this infamous meal fell back upon a thin wine which rasped his throat and resignedly drank coffee which left a sediment of peat at the bottom of the cup then he climbed into a jolting car driven by a young man and the horse went off at a smart pace through the village and into the country on the way he asked the driver for some information about la trappe but the peasant knew nothing i often go there he said but never enter the carriage stays at the gate so you see i can tell you nothing they went for an hour rapidly through the lanes and the peasant saluted a roadmaker with his whip and said to durtal they say that the emmets eat their bellies and as durtal asked what he meant they are idle dogs they lie all the summer on their bellies in the shade and he said no more durtal thought of nothing he digested and smoked dizzy with the rumbling of the carriage at the end of another hour they came into the heart of the forest are we near oh not yet can we see la trappe from a distance oh no you must have your nose just over it to see it it is quite in a bottom at the end of a lane like that said the peasant pointing to a grassy lane into which they turned there is a fellow coming from the place he said pointing out a vagabond who was crossing the copse at a great pace and he explained to durtal that every beggar had a right to food and even to lodging at la trappe they gave them the ordinary fare of the community in a room close to the brother porter's lodge but did not let them into the convent when durtal asked him the opinion which the villagers round about had of the monks the peasant was evidently afraid of compromising himself for he answered some say nothing about them durtal began to be rather weary when suddenly as they turned out of a lane he saw an immense building below him there is la trappe said the peasant gathering his reins for the descent from the height where he was durtal looked over the roofs and saw a large garden with thickets and in front of them a formidable crucifix then the vision disappeared the carriage again went through the wood descending by zigzag roads where the foliage intercepted the view they came at last by long circuits to an open place at the end of which rose a wall with a large gate in the middle the carriage stopped you have only to ring said the peasant showing durtal an iron chain along the wall and he added shall i come for you again to-morrow no then you remain here and the peasant looked at him with astonishment turned about and drove up the hill durtal remained as one crushed his portmanteau at his feet before the door his heart beat violently all his assurance all his enthusiasm had vanished and he stammered what will happen to me within and with a swift feeling of dread there passed before him the terrible life of the trappists the body ill-nourished exhausted from want of sleep prostrate for hours on the pavement 
the soul trembling squeezed like a sponge in the hand drilled examined ransacked even to its smallest folds and at the end of its failure of an existence thrown like a wreck against this rude rock into the silence of a prison and the dreadful stillness of the tomb my god my god have pity upon me said he as he wiped his brow mechanically he looked around as if he expected some help the roads were deserted and the woods were empty no sound was heard in the country or in the monastery at any rate i must make up my mind to ring and his limbs sinking under him he pulled the chain the sound of the bell hard rusty grumbling sounded on the other side of the wall get up and don't be a fool he said to himself as he heard the clatter of a pair of sabots behind the door this opened and a very old monk clad in the brown cloth of the capuchins looked at him inquiringly i come to make a retreat and i wish to see father etienne the monk bowed took up the portmanteau and made a sign to durtal to follow him he went with bent head and short steps across an orchard they reached a grating passed on the right of the vast building a sort of dilapidated chateau flanked by two wings advancing on a court the brother entered the wing close to the grating durtal followed him along a corridor into which several grey doors opened on one of these he read the word auditorium the trappist stopped before it lifted the wooden latch ushered durtal into the room and after some minutes he heard repeated calls on the bell durtal sat down and looked at this gloomy chamber for the window was half closed by shutters there was little furniture the most important a dining table with an old cover in the corner a prie-dieu above which was nailed a figure of saint anthony of padua rocking the infant jesus in his arms a large crucifix on the other wall and here and there were placed two high-backed chairs and four ordinary chairs durtal took from his pocket-book the letter of introduction to the father what sort of reception will he give me he asked himself he at any rate can speak well we shall soon see he said as he heard steps a monk in white with a black scapular whose two ends fell one on his shoulders the other on his breast appeared he was young and smiling he read the letter then he took durtal's hand and led him in silent astonishment across the court to the other wing of the building opened a door dipped his finger in a holy water stoop and offered it to him they were in a chapel the monk invited durtal by a sign to kneel on a step before the altar and he prayed in a low voice he then rose returned slowly to the threshold offered durtal holy water again still without opening his lips and leading him by the hand they went the way they came to the auditorium there he inquired after the health of the abbe gevresin seized the portmanteau and mounted an immense staircase falling into ruin at the top of this staircase which had only one story there extended a vast landing bounded at each of its extremities by a door father etienne entered that on the right crossed a broad vestibule and led durtal into a room which a ticket printed in large letters placed under the invocation of st benedict and said i am sorry sir to be only able to put at your disposal this room which is not very comfortable but it will do very well said durtal and the view is charming he continued approaching the window at least you will be in good air said the monk opening the casement below stretched the orchard through which durtal had passed under the conduct of the brother porter an enclosure full of apple trees stunted and clipped 
silvered by lichens and gilt by moss then beyond the monastery and above the walls rose fields of clover intersected by a great white road extending to the horizon which was notched by the foliage of trees you will see sir father etienne went on if you need anything in this cell and tell me quite simply will you not for otherwise we should heap up regret for both of us for you who have only to ask for what might be useful to you for me who should only discover it later and be sorry for my forgetfulness durtal looked at him reassured by this frank greeting he was a young priest about thirty years old his face bright and finely cut was streaked with red fibres on the cheeks this monk wore a beard and round his shaven head was a crown of brown hair he spoke somewhat rapidly and smiled with his hands pushed into the large leathern belt round his waist i will come back directly for i have some important work to finish he said try to make yourself at home as much as possible and if you have time glance over the rule which you have to follow in this monastery it is written on one of these cards on the table we will talk about it after you have mastered it if you like and he left durtal alone he soon made an inventory of the room it was very high and extremely narrow like a gun barrel the door was at one end the window at the other at the bottom in a corner near the casement was a little iron bed and a small round table in chestnut wood at the foot of the bed which stood along the wall was a prie-dieu in faded rep upon which was a crucifix and a branch of dried fir below it on the same side was a table of white wood covered with a towel on which were placed an ewer a basin and a glass on the opposite wall was a wardrobe and by the fireplace on the mantelpiece of which a crucifix was placed was a table opposite the bed near the window three straw chairs completed the furniture of this room i shall never have water enough to wash in thought durtal gauging the miniature jug which held about a pint since father essienne shows himself so obliging i must ask him for a larger ration he unpacked his portmanteau undressed put on flannel instead of his starched shirt arranged his toilet things on the washing stand folded his linen in the wardrobe then sat down looked around the cell and thought it sufficiently comfortable and above all very clean he then went towards the table on which were laid a ream of ruled paper an inkstand and some pens he was grateful for this attention of the monk who knew no doubt by the abbe gevrezin's letter that his business was writing opened two volumes bound in leather and shut them again the one was the introduction to the devout life by st francis de sales the other was manresa or the spiritual exercises of st ignatius of loyola and he arranged his own books on the table then he took up just as it came one of the cards spread on the table and read exercises of the community for ordinary days from easter to the invention of the cross in september rise two primae and mass five fifteen work after the chapter end of work and leisure time nine sext eleven angelus and dinner eleven thirty siesta after dinner end of siesta one thirty none and work five minutes after waking end of work and leisure four thirty vespers followed by prayer five fifteen supper and leisure six compline seven twenty five retire to rest eight he turned the card and on the other side was a new horary entitled winter exercises from the invention of the cross in september to easter the hour of rising was the same but bedtime was an hour earlier dinner was changed from eleven thirty to two siesta and supper at six o'clock were suppressed 
the canonical hours were the same except vespers and compline which were changed from five fifteen and seven twenty five to four thirty and six fifteen it is not pleasant to drag oneself from bed in the middle of the night sighed durtal but i am inclined to think that the retreatants are not subject to this rule of wakefulness and he took up another card this must be the one intended for me he said reading the head of the card rules of retreat from easter to the invention of the cross in september let us look at these rules rather more closely he examined the two tables brought together one for the morning and one for the evening morning four rise at the angelus bell four thirty prayer and meditation five fifteen prime and mass six to seven examination of conscience seven breakfast seven thirty way of the cross eight sext and none eight thirty second meditation nine spiritual reading eleven adoration and examination tierce eleven thirty angelus dinner recreation twelve fifteen siesta absolute silence evening one thirty end of siesta rosary two vespers and compline three third meditation three fifteen spiritual reading four fifteen matins and louds five fifteen reflections choir vespers five thirty examination and prayer six supper and recreation seven litanies absolute silence seven fifteen assisted compline seven thirty salve regina angelus seven forty five private examination retire to rest this at any rate is more practical four o'clock in the morning is an almost possible hour but i do not understand it the canonical hours on this tablet do not agree with those of the monks and then why these double vespers and compline lastly these little points in which you are invited to meditate so many minutes to read so many more scarcely suit me my mind is scarcely malleable enough to run in those channels it is true that after all i am free to do as i please for no one can verify what tricks i may play can know for instance if i meditate ah here is again a regulation at the back he went on as he turned the card the regulation for september i need not trouble myself about it it differs moreover little from the other but here is a postscript which concerns both horaries note one those who are not bound to say the breviary will say the little office of the blessed virgin two the retreatants are requested to make their confessions at an early date in order to have their mind more free for meditation three after each meditation an analogous chapter of the imitation must be read four the best time for confessions and the way of the cross is from six to nine in the morning two to five in the afternoon and in summer from nine in the morning till five in the afternoon five to read the table of notices six it is well to be punctual at meals to keep no one waiting seven the father guest-master alone is charged with providing for the wants of guests eight guests may ask for books for the retreat if they have none themselves confession he saw this word only in the whole series of rules he must at once have recourse to it he felt a cold shiver down his back and knew that he must speak to father Etienne about it as soon as he returned he had not long to wrestle with himself for the monk entered almost at once and said have you noticed anything you need and the presence of which may be useful to you no father yet if you could let me have a little more water nothing is easier i will send you up a large pitcher every morning thank you 
see i have been studying the rules i will at once put you at ease said the monk you are compelled to nothing but the strictest punctuality you must follow the canonical officers to the letter as to the exercises marked on the card they are not of obligation they may be useful as they are laid down for people who are very young and devoid of all initiative but as i think at least they somewhat hamper others and as a general rule we do not trouble the retreatants here we let solitude act on them it belongs to yourself to discriminate and distinguish the best mode of occupying your time holily therefore i will not impose on you any of the reading laid down on this card and only take leave to get you to say the little office of the blessed virgin have you it here it is said durtal holding out a bound book your volume is charming said father etienne as he turned over the pages exquisitely printed in red and black he paused at one of them and read aloud the third lesson of matins is it not fine he cried a sudden joy sprang up in his face his eyes grew bright his hands trembled on the cover yes he said closing it read this office here especially for you know our true patroness the true abbot of the trappists is the blessed virgin after a silence he continued i have fixed a week as the duration of your retreat in the letter i sent to the abbe gevresin but i need not say that if you are not too weary here you can stay as long as it seems good to you i hope to be able to prolong my stay among you but this must depend upon the way in which my body stands the struggle my stomach is somewhat weak and i am not without some fear i shall therefore be much obliged to you if you will let me see the confessor as soon as possible good you shall see him to-morrow i will tell you the time this evening after compline as for the food if you think it insufficient i will see that you have an extra egg but there ceases the discretion i can exercise for the rule is precise no fish no flesh vegetables and i am bound to admit they are not first-rate but you shall judge and indeed as it is just upon supper-time i will show you the room where you will dine in company with monsieur bruno and as they descended the staircase the monk went on monsieur bruno is a person who has renounced the world and without having taken the vows lives enclosed he is what our rule calls an oblate he is a holy and learned man whom you will certainly like you can talk with him during the meal ah oh, said durtal and before and after i must keep silence yes unless you have anything to ask in which case i shall always be at your service ready to answer you as for that question of silence as for those of the hours of rising and going to bed and the officers the rule allows no modification it must be observed to the letter good said durtal a little taken aback by the decided tone of the father but i saw on my card a note directing me to consult a table of regulations and i have not that table it hangs on the wall of the staircase near your room you can read it when your head is rested to-morrow will you go in he said opening a door in the lower corridor just opposite that of the auditorium durtal bowed to an old gentleman who came to meet him the monk introduced them and vanished the dishes were on the table two poached eggs a bowl of rice another of french beans and a pot of honey Monsieur bruno said grace and proceeded to help durtal he gave him an egg this is a poor supper for a parisian he said with a smile oh, as long as there is an egg and wine it is bearable i was afraid i confess that my only drink would be cold water they talked as friends the man was pleasant and distinguished 
with ascetic features but with a bright smile lighting up a grave face yellow and wrinkled he lent himself with perfect good grace to durtal's inquiries and told him that after a tempestuous life he felt that grace had touched him and he had retired from the world to expiate by years of austerities and silence his own sins and those of others and you have never grown tired of being here never during the five years that i have spent in this cloister time cut up as it is at la trappe seems short you are present at all the exercises of the community yes i only replace manual labor by meditation in my cell my position as oblate however dispenses me if i so wish from getting up at two o'clock to follow the night office but it is a great joy to me to recite the magnificent benedictine psalter before daybreak but you are listening to me and eat nothing let me give you a little more rice no thank you but i will take if you will allow me a spoonful of honey the food is not bad he said but i do not quite understand the same strange and identical taste in all the dishes it smells how shall i express it like burnt fat or suet that is the warm oil with which the vegetables are dressed you will soon grow accustomed to it in a couple of days you will cease to notice it but in what consists precisely the part of an oblate his life is less austere and more contemplative than that of a monk he may travel if he will and though he is not bound by vows he shares in all the spiritual advantages of the order in old times the rule admitted those whom it styled familiars those were oblates who received the tonsure wore a distinct costume and pronounced the three greater vows they led in fact a mitigated life half layman half monk this rule which still exists among the true benedictines has disappeared among the trappists since the year twelve ninety three the date at which it was suppressed by the chapter general at the present time in the cistercian abbeys are only the fathers the lay brothers the oblates when there are any and the peasants employed in field labour the lay brothers i suppose are those whose heads are completely shaven and who are clothed in a brown habit like the monk who opened the door to me yes they do not sing office and have only manual tasks by the way the rule for retreat which i read in my room does not seem clear as far as i recall it it doubles certain offices places matins at four in the afternoon and vespers at two in any case the horary is not the same as that of the trappists how am i to understand and reconcile them you have only to take into consideration the exercises set out on your card father Etienne must i think have said so that mould was only made for people who cannot occupy and guide themselves that explains to you how to prevent them from becoming idle the priest's breviary has been in some degree taken to pieces and their time has been distributed in small slices so that for instance they may be obliged to recite the psalms for matins at hours when there is no psalm dinner was over Monsieur bruno said grace and said to durtal you have twenty minutes free from now to compline you can make acquaintance with the garden and woods he bowed politely and went out i can smoke a cigarette thought durtal when he was alone he took his hat and left the room night was coming on he passed through the great court skirted a small building surmounted by a long chimney stack discovered by the smell that it was a chocolate factory and entered an avenue of trees the sky was so obscure that he could scarcely see the group of trees he entered and not seeing any one he rolled his cigarettes and smoked them slowly with enjoyment consulting his watch from time to time by his cigar lights 
he was astonished at the silence of the monastery not a sound however hushed however distant save now and then a gentle rustle of boughs he went to the side whence the noise came and saw a piece of water on which a swan was sailing which came towards him he saw its white plumage oscillate against the darkness which it displaced with a splash when a bell sounded with slow strokes ah said he looking again at his watch that is the hour of compline he went to the chapel which was still empty and he took occasion of the solitude to examine it at his ease it was in the form of a truncated cross a cross without a foot rounded at the summit holding out two square arms with a door at either end the upper part of the cross below a cupola painted blue formed a little circular apse round which was a circle of stalls placed back against the wall in the middle rose a great altar of white marble surmounted by wooden chandeliers flanked on the left and right by candelabra also of wood placed on marble shafts the lower part of the altar was hollow and closed in front by a glass behind which appeared a shrine in gothic style which reflected in its copper gilt mirror the light of the lamps the apse opened into a large porch with three steps in front on the arms of the cross which were prolonged into a kind of vestibule serving at once as nave and side aisles to this stumpy church the hollowed arms at their extremities near the doors held two very small chapels set back in niches painted blue like the cupola containing above two stone altars without ornament two mediocre statues one of saint joseph the other of christ lastly a fourth altar dedicated to the virgin was situated in this vestibule opposite the steps leading to the apse opposite therefore to the high altar it was relieved against a window whose lights represented saint bernard in white on one hand and saint benedict in black on the other and it appeared to recede into the church because of the two ranges of seats which stood on the left and right before the two other little chapels leaving only room necessary to pass along the vestibule or to go in a straight line from this altar of the virgin in the apse to the high altar this sanctuary is alarmingly ugly said durtal who had sat down on a bench in front of the statue of saint joseph to judge by the few subjects carved along the walls this edifice dates from the time of louis sixteen an abominable date for a church he was disturbed in these thoughts by the sound of bells and at the same time all the doors were opened one situated in the apse itself on the left of the altar gave passage to about half a score monks wrapped in great white cowls who spread out into the choir and occupied the stalls on either side then by the two doors of the vestibule came a crowd of brown monks who knelt at the benches on the two sides of our lady's altar durtal had some of them near him but they bowed their heads and joined their hands he dared not observe them moreover the vestibule had become almost dark the light was concentrated in the choir where the lamps were kindled he could make out the faces of the white monks in their stalls in the part of the apse he could see and among them he recognized father Etienne on his knees near a short monk but another at the end of the stalls near the porch almost opposite the altar and in full light attracted him he was tall and strong and looked like an arab in his white burnous durtal could only see him in profile and he distinguished a long grey beard a shaven skull surrounded by the monastic crown a high forehead and a nose like an eagle's beak he had a grand appearance with his imperious features and his fine figure as it swayed under the cowl that is probably the abbot of la trappe thought durtal and he felt certain when this monk struck a little bell hidden under the desk before him and directed the office 
all the monks bowed to the altar the abbot recited the opening prayers then there was a pause and from the other side of the apse which durtal could not see rose the frail voice of an old man a voice which had returned to the clear tones of childhood but was just a little cracked growing higher as it declaimed the antiphon deus in adjutorium meum intende and the other side of the choir that on which were father Etienne and the abbot answered scanning the syllables very slowly with voices of bass pitch domine ad adjuvandum me festina and all bowed their heads over the folios placed before them and took up the words gloria patri et filio et spiritui sancto and they lifted their heads while the other part of the fathers pronounced the response sicut erat in principio et cetera the office began it was not chanted but declaimed now rapid and now slow the side of the choir which durtal saw made all the vowels sharp and short letters the other on the contrary altered them all into long letters and seemed to cap all the o's with a circumflex accent it might be said that one side had the pronunciation of the south the other that of the north thus chanted the office became strange and ended by rocking like an incantation and soothing the soul which fell asleep in the rolling of the verses interrupted by the recurrent doxology like a refrain after the last verse of each of the psalms oh, well i cannot understand it thought durtal who had his compline at his fingers ends they are not singing the roman office at all the fact is that one of the psalms was wanting he caught indeed at one moment the hymn of saint ambrose the te lucis ante terminum sung to a simple and rugged tune of the old plain chant and yet the last stanza was not the same but he lost himself afresh and waited for the short lessons and the nunc dimittis which never came yet compline does not vary like vespers he thought i must ask father Etienne the meaning of this to-morrow then his reflections were disturbed by a young white monk who passed him genuflected to the altar and lighted two tapers suddenly all rose and with a great shout the salve regina shook the arches durtal was affected as he listened to this admirable chant which had nothing in common with that which is bellowed at paris in the churches this was at once flexible and ardent sustained by such suppliant adoration that it seemed to concentrate in itself alone the immemorial hope of humanity and its eternal lamentation chanted without accompaniment unsustained by the organ by voices indifferent to themselves and blending in one only masculine and deep it rose with quiet boldness sprang up with irresistible flight towards our lady then made as it were a return upon itself and its confidence was lessened it advanced more tremblingly but so different so humble that it felt itself forgiven and dared then in passionate appeals to demand the undeserved pleasures of heaven it was the absolute triumph of the neumes those repetitions of notes on the same syllable the same word which the church invented to paint the excess of that interior joy or sorrow which words cannot render it was a rush a going forth of the soul escaping in the passionate voices breathed forth by the bodies of the monks as they stood and trembled durtal followed in his prayer-book this work with so short a text so long a chant and as he listened to and read it with recollection this magnificent prayer seemed to decompose as a whole and to represent three different states of the soul to exhibit the triple phase of humanity during its youth its maturity and its decline it was in a word an essential summary of prayer for all ages 
first there was the canticle of exultation the joyous welcome of a being yet little stammering forth respectful caresses petting with gentle words and fondness of a child who seeks to coax his mother this is the salve regina mater misericordia vita dulcedo et spes nostra salve then the soul so candid so simply happy has grown and knowing the wilful failings of thought the repeated loss through sin joins her hands and asks sobbing for help she adores no longer with a smile but with tears it is ad te clamamus exules filii hevai ad te suspiramus gementes et flentes in hac lacrimarum vale at last old age comes the soul lies tormented by the memory of counsels neglected by regret for lost graces and having become weaker and more full of fears is alarmed before her deliverance before the destruction of that prison of the flesh which she feels at hand and then she thinks of the eternal death of those whom the judge condemns on her knees she implores the advocatress of earth the consultrix of heaven it is the eia ergo advocata nostra ilios tuos misericordes oculos ad nos converte et jesum benedictum fructum ventris tui nobis post hoc exilium ostende and to that essence of prayer composed by peter of compostella or hermann contract saint bernard in an excess of hyperdulia added the three invocations at the end o clemens o pia o dulcis virgo maria sealing the inimitable prose with a triple seal by those three cries of love which recall the hymn to the affectionate adoration of its beginning this is unprecedented thought durtal as the trappists chanted these sweet and eager appeals the neumes were prolonged on the o's which passed through all the colours of the soul through the whole register of sound and these interjections summed up again in the series of notes which clothed them the inventory of the human soul which now recapitulated the whole body of the hymn and suddenly at the word maria at the glorious cry of that name the chant fell the tapers were extinguished the monks fell on their knees a silence like death came upon the chapel the bells rang slowly and the angelus unfolded under the arches the separated petals of its clear sounds all now prostrate their faces buried in their hands were praying and this lasted long then the sound of the little handbell was heard every one rose genuflected to the altar and in silent file the monks disappeared through the door in the apse ah the true creator of plain music the unknown author who cast into the brain of man the seed of plain chant was the holy ghost said durtal sick and dazzled with tears in his eyes monsieur bruno whom he had not noticed in the chapel came and joined him they crossed the court without speaking and when they had entered the guest-house monsieur bruno lighted two candles gave one to durtal and said gravely i wish you a good night sir durtal went up the staircase behind him they bowed again on the landing and durtal entered his cell the wind blew under the door and the room scarcely lighted by the low flame of the candle seemed to him gloomy the high ceiling vanished in shadow and rained down darkness durtal sat down by his bed discouraged 
and yet he was thrust forward by one of those impulses it is impossible to translate into words in which it seems that the heart swells almost to bursting and before his inability to get away and fly from self durtal ended by becoming a child again by weeping without definite cause simply from the need of relieving himself by tears he sank down at the prie-dieu expecting he knew not what which never came then before the crucifix which stretched its arms above him he began to speak to him and to say to him in low tones father i have driven the swine from my being but they have trampled on me and covered me with mire and the very sty is in ruins have pity on me for i return from a distant land have mercy o lord on the swineherd without a house i have entered into thy house do not send me away be to me a kindly host wash me ah oh, he said suddenly that reminds me that i have not seen father Etienne, who was to tell me the hour at which the confessor would receive me to-morrow he has no doubt forgotten to ask him so much the better at any rate it will put it off for a day my soul is so cramped that i have indeed need of rest he undressed sighing i must be up at half-past three to be in the chapel at four i have no time to lose if i wish to sleep if only i have no neuralgia to-morrow and can wake before dawn end of part two chapter one